0: Hello and welcome. It is episode 73 of the Saints FC podcast. I am John Bailey and I am delighted uh, to be welcoming back Carl Anker. Carl, you caused an absolute storm for me last time you were on. everyone everyone enjoyed hearing you uh for the first time on the saints of sea podcast hearing your insight on saints um so you know you you've had the like brilliant first album this is your second album this is the challenging piece uh for you now carl how are you feeling before it
1: uh during the international break just a little bit a little bit scared but yeah. let's give it a go <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay um yeah welcome back Carl. thank you very much for for coming on again um obviously uh, Saints fans if you're hearing Carl for the first time um, and you like what you hear the best uh, place to hear from Carl is on the athletic uh, website or kind of content app um, where Carl does a dedicated so- story on Southampton Football Club probably two or three times a week on average but but really really good stuff and when we're gonna get, we're gonna speak to Carl. Um, about some of those pieces as, as we go through this episode. And you might also occasionally hear him talking on the Totally Football Show as well um, with James Richardson. Um, Carl, h- how have you been? Say, so, I think we've had about four or five games since we last spoke, all of them losses apart from one very, very important one.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, should we start there? Bloody I, hell.
0: I, I think South we should Coast start Starby. there. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was... It, it, was, Unlike it was something great.
1: I've ever experienced before in my life. I have never heard a noise like that in a football ground before. I have never uh, been in a police kettle like that before, uh, and I've never heard chants that loud before in a long, long time. I think so. On when that was the game on the Tuesday, and I spent most of the Wednesday indoors with all the curtains drawn because my I had a splitting headache in a good way, like a well-earned headache.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> um yeah i mean you've obviously been a very good boy if you've not managed to be kettled by the police before Carl. that's that's uh, that's good effort um uh so yeah i mean let's let's start with a south case derby because it's probably been the only good thing that's happened uh for southampton in the last month so it's a it's a good place for us to start um you know i i wonder what 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 derbies have you been to before what games have you been to where you where you kind of previously had that experience of thinking, wow, what an atmosphere this is. Um,
1: uh, I've done mostly Tottenham derbies uh, based on my dad's history as a Tottenham fan. So I've done Tottenham West Ham and I've done a North Co- uh, North London derby. Um, so I've heard vitriol and I've heard a bad chum or two. Yeah, But in terms of just constant, constant, constant singing uh, and, uh, this, you know, I've never, I've never seen a team continue to sing about why their team is great when they were three nil down in the same way I've heard Portsmouth fans sing about that. So that was a unique experience for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it is an absolutely raucous atmosphere, Southampton, Portsmouth. I, I've never um, qualified to get a ticket at Fratton Park, so I can't uh, speak for for those ones. But the ones at St Mary's, which I wouldn't say necessarily as a ground famous for its atmosphere. Even that manages still to become kind of like raucous and, and you know, enlivened by the sense of the occasion. Um, and I've been to a few derbies before. I, I grew up in the West Country. I've seen Bristol Rovers, Bristol City. That was pretty good. I saw that in a old school, old terrace ground, and, and that was good fun. And I've also amazingly seen Brazil versus Argentina, which was a great atmosphere, but they didn't really do away fans in South America in the same way. So it doesn't have quite that same level of uh, febrile vitriol um which is just so so fun <laughs> um and and actually you know my experience from going to the Bristol Derby and the old grounds is that it probably is even more impressive going to see it at Fretton Park where it is that old school football ground uh, the fans on top of the pitch um you know everything's a little bit rickety and feels a little bit more awkward and, and nerve-wracking I suppose
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the the press box. I put press box in air quotes at Fratton Park was a was a quite uh, intimate experience as well. Uh, I remember getting quite embarrassed when I had to run off to the toilet at half time because it was very much like trying to go into an old theatre seat. You sort of have to go through four or five individuals saying sorry the entire time before you get back into the seat. Fratton Park is, you know, capital letters, a proper football ground, and uh, the delight the Southampton fans had after victory. Uh, Will live long in the memory. The fact that they're still singing four uh, 0 in your own home ground, Southampton fans, lets me know they'll probably be singing that for another decade or so. Because I think that's another unique thing about the South Coast derby. Because the game is played so infrequently, um, there's not a chance for bragging rights to reverse for for quite a while. So, um, congrats to Southampton. They're going to enjoy that for a long time. Uh, and fair play, they they were very good in that game once they realised. All Portsmouth had was a was like a bad atmosphere. Well, and all All Portsmouth had to offer was an a intense atmosphere and some interesting tackles. Uh, but that's the cup, and now we've got to look into league performance, which has been tricky, shall we say?
0: Yeah, I mean, sh- should we say? I mean, how how did that derby compare to the other? Oh, I'm going to use um, the word derby and kind of like floating air brackets here. The other derby against. Bournemouth, because I mean, from the footballing side of you, I think this is quite an interesting game, and and maybe we can have a little chat about that. But I mean, just just in case there are any Bournemouth fans listening to this, you can can you tell what the difference is between which one means a lot to the team and which one doesn't?
1: Yeah, it, it was like night and day. So yeah. obviously, the Athletic has a report for every single Premier League club. So the uh, the Athletics Bournemouth writer. Peter Rutzler uh, met me on a Friday and and wanted to talk to me about Bournemouth and how Bournemouth were taking that cup, that that game against Southampton quite seriously. I wanted it to be their own derby. I wanted it to be their own, you know, Eddie Howard yet to taste victory at St. Mary's. And they were taking that very, very seriously. You go in the stadium and Southampton fans were more or less just, okay, well, this is a game before the real South coast derby. And that was, that was pretty much the feeling. It was annoying Southampton fans were annoyed at the performance. I think the first 45 minutes against Bournemouth was maybe the poorest 45 minutes Southampton have had all season. Uh, But the overwhelming consensus after the game was sort of, let's draw a line under it. Let's beat beat Portsmouth, and then we'll take it from there. Um, One of the big stories, of course, of the Bournemouth game was the return of Ryan Bertram. Came on the second half and played at left-back. Hopefully, he will uh, remain the first-choice left-back going forward because he's the best player they've got at left back really
0: well I mean we don't even really have another player at left back which makes it all the more bizarre that Ryan Bertrand was I suppose overlooked for the start of the season I know we had some talk about an injury but it I mean certainly against Bournemouth he looked absolutely fine when he came on
1: yeah it's uh, there's been some interesting Tinkering and tactical profiles from Hazel, and um, there have been two or three player combinations that we haven't yet seen from Southampton that are either due to injury or to the to reasons I cannot fathom yet because I don't spend every day in Staplewood that I still really want to see. Uh, so Southampton some haven't had a particularly good recent run of form, but I don't think things are as bad as the league table suggests. I think there are there is a good first eleven that is not far off top half quality that is yet to be short for Southampton. And I'd like to see it in the immediate next couple of weeks uh, before I start getting worried and mentioning the R word.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I just don't want to think about that again. It's been a horrible past couple of years. Um, and if we can avoid that R word as much as possible, that would be great. Although if you look at the Premier League table today, it's it's not pretty viewing for, for Saints fans. And, um I was speaking to, I don't know, is it a colleague, if they're from a kind of rival teams podcast uh, earlier today, chatting to Sam from (laughs) from the Wolves podcast and, uh, you know, just saying to him how I think, you know, we started the season feeling really kind of confident, really feeling like we've got the right manager. um, The performances have been getting better at the end of last season. And I think we were expecting a much stronger start to the season. And a lot of us, I think, are kind of probably standing around scratching our heads and trying to work out what it is that's going wrong, you know. Mm. know, Is it Ralph, is he having a rude awakening that, you know, there's not really much time for learning on the job in the Premier League and not actually, you can't get away with experimenting all the time. I'm quite confused as to why it's not working because I watch us in the games and I can see what he's trying to do and I can see it sometimes, certainly with the high press, sometimes working and you see us getting chances. And then there's just these moments where we seem to have totally lost concentration, totally lost any sort of shape or any sense of what we're supposed to be doing. And and Carl, I'm hoping that you can shed some light on that because I'm sat here confused and a bit disappointed, really.
1: I think a key thing to remember is, well, hustle is a, is a good... Is a good manager, one of the most promising. I keep wanting to call him a, a promising young manager, but then I'm reminded of his age, uh, so, so I feel a bit mean. Um, I, it, let's let's be clear. Ralph Hassel is one of the be- one of the most promising managers in Europe right now. He's got Champions League experience. He was schooled in a Red Bull system. Um, he wants to play football in a very certain way that relies on a lot of video analysis. Um Young players, preferably on the age of twenty four and that revolves around this high pressing system that sometimes plays a four two 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 um but can play three or four other formations at a moment's notice. Those things haven't changed um the mini run Southampton had last season after Household came in and before, when they were mathematically safe was was the pinnacle so if you take that um, you know, the amount of points they got over that space of time between December to April, I think if you like extrapolate that across 38 games, it more or less works out to, to 52 points, which would have taken to ninth place yeah. last season. So that was, I think, the hope before the start of the season was so Hustle gets his first preseason on the East Belt. Everyone gets to play more of this high-pressing yeah. system. And Southampton will be aiming for anywhere between ninth and 14th place in the league. I predicted Southampton to finish 12th. Um, and I think everyone was feeling pretty happy going into that first game at Turf Moor against Burnley And then of course Sean Dyche does what Sean Dyche does Which is score three goals and three shots and a are a bit. Oh no um, All the good things about Southampton is still there They're still trying to play young players in this tactically fluid system that sometimes plays a 4 um and how sort of want them to play high pressing football. That is also there. What is also apparent is all the things that were there from Pellegrino's tenure Pellegrino's tenure, tenure and also Marc Hughes's tenure. So there is a vulnerability at set pieces. There is this frustrating inability to finish the chances you make. So Southampton are top five, top six for XG in the Premier League right now. They make chances at a rate that a Europa League club would be proud of. They finish chances at a rate a relegation side would be embarrassed about. It is really, really annoying. Um, and, that, and that speaks to, to more or less some um, that still haven't properly replaced um, Graziano Pele and to a lesser degree haven't replaced Sadio Mane. Musso Jenepo looks to be on the way of replacing Sadio Mane. Um, but in terms of a, a, a robust number nine target man, um, that still remains to be seen, especially when you consider how many direct balls um, Hassel wants to play. It it, it does uh, make you scratch your head. while you try and get a taller striker? <laughs> um, so that's up that's up front. And then obviously the problem also with Southampton is while the attack has been the same and has been quite mediocre since Pellegrino le- uh, since Pelle left, uh, the defense has got progressively worse following the sales of Font and Van Dijk. Um, and the the defense is is going to cop up chances all the time uh, uh, in a way that. I can't really explain other than individual mistakes. Um, yeah, there's, I, there's there's being bad and there's being unlucky, and Southampton's defense is both,
0: both bad and at, unlucky.
1: It is both at times that I can find absolutely baffling. So um, to 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 bring up the Chelsea game, mm-hmm. uh, Tammy Abraham's first goal is unlucky defending. That is a ball over the top. That is Angus gun racing out of goal. And Tammy Abraham going, I want to try and chip you now because I've scored quite a few goals this season. And it gets in before Yoshida or Bennerick can clear the ball off the line. That's unlucky. That's, that's a, that's a goalkeeper deciding to roll the dice and then trying to make a save and then not coming off.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the defending for the third goal from N'Golo Kante, uh, the third goal in the pro in Mason Mount and N'Golo Kante's goals, that's bad defending. That is, simply being caught out by two or three slick passes and not understand what's going on yeah. N'Golo Kante's, Kante's one was particularly bad defending where sort of it, before the setup Danny Ings and Romeo had got a turnover looked to be starting a counter attack then got dispossessed they gave the ball to Willian who swiftly, swiftly moved the ball out wide who then gave it to Kante Kante was in acres of space and Kante went I'm gonna have a shot now there was no pressure on the ball when Kante made the shot and then the shot was deflected. So that was a weird combination of bad and unlucky defending. Cause so it was bad defending and that no one was around to put pressure on Kante. Unlucky that the shot took a deflection before it went in. So, I don't know how Hassel Houghton fixes that. He seems to be working on, he's tried three at the back. Uh, he's tried four at the back. I'd really, really like to see him try four at the back with Bertrand left back, Valerie right back, and then Danzo and Benrick as your center back options. I'm about to sneeze.
0: Bless you. Um, well, you, you'll sneeze there, Cole. Maybe that's a good opportunity for me to jump in here and, and ask a question because the, the next question um, I had for you lined up, and you've moved on to the, the topic kind of without me even sending you an agenda. So well done for doing that, um, was to ask you about these defensive lineups, which have been very odd. Um, and we spoke a bit about Kevin Danso last time. He had quite a an interesting and yeah, you know, quite enthusing performance, I thought, against Manchester United, which was the last time we spoke. Um what well, what's happening here? Because I thought, you know, Danzo was gonna be a first choice centre back, and certainly that's what you thought about a month ago, alongside Jan Bednarek. um, we you know, with with perhaps the right and the left back being a little bit less certain.
1: Yeah. Um he had a really Shaky performance against Bournemouth. So he was tried out at right-back against Bournemouth with Cedric at left-back as a back. I want to say it was a 4-2-2-2, and it it just didn't work. Felt that red card against Manchester United because uh, it was perhaps uh, a rash challenge that happens to to young defenders, and he, he said he probably should have taken Danzo off when it was on a yellow card. Um, and he said, and, but he also reiterated the fact that he be- believed Danzo's best position to be at centre-back, and we all believe that Danzo's best position, I say we all, it is uh, the common view of those at Southampton and, and football writers on the circuit that Kevin Danzo's best position is centre-back. There was a very interesting comment from his former youth coach, Dan Misch, who is uh, now at Arsenal on the 17th, who thinks he potentially has a future at, Box to box midfielder, but for the general view, is he's a centre back. Um, so he's played left back and right back now, and he was really shaky at right back. Came off at half time as Bertrand came on at left back and said, it hey, move over to the right." And he hasn't featured for Southampton since. I've bumped into Danzo uh, two or three times now at Staplewood, and he seems to be in fine spirit. He doesn't seem to be particularly. Um, concerned or or he doesn't seem to, to, to give any indication that he, he's he been dropped. He's he's a lovely young man, uh, very much a professional, and I believe um, Marcel is a manager who communicates with his players very clearly why, when, and why they are not featuring in the team as well. So I don't think there's any... I wouldn't want to comment on anyone to believe there's any sort of bad blood or he's been dropped. I simply believe it's a case of... Especially in games where Southampton, Southampton have a very unforgiving fixture list at the moment, and I think or especially in the bigger games, wants to go with experience over youth, which meant uh, the return of Maya Yoshida um, in particular against, in the games against Tom Hotspur and against Chelsea. I think if once the um, fixture list gets a bit kinder and there are less top six sides to play, I expect Gavin Dando to be returning to the to the back line um, quite soon. And one thing that is for sure is basically Jan Bennerik is the ever-present of Southampton's defence. He's started every Premier League game on the Ralph Hustle. So all 31 games Hustle has had in the Premier League, uh, Jan Bennerik's been starting. So it's more a, it's a it's a case of if they play four at the back, who's going to partner him? Or if it's three at the back, three at the back, who's going to be the extra person along with benerick And I'm going to say Yoshida because Yoshida seems to be getting the nod in this mid in this uh, back three as well. Um, Vestergaard was dropped against Chelsea in an interesting tactical tweak. I'm, I'm still unclear as to whether or not it was just a tactical tweak or if he was potentially injured. But uh, I think we might be beginning to see the the, uh, the tailing off of Vestergaard, especially if they continue the, with a the back four.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like a shame because... I I don't know Vestergaard is one of those players and I I watch him and I want him to be better than he is but I just can't see it happening whereas Bednarek I think the first time I saw him um, in fact I think it was a game against Wolves when they were still in the championship in the cup and he was pretty dreadful in that game but you know as he started to come into the team or you could see that there was a really good centre-back in Jan Bednarek and I just can't see it in Vestergaard and it's it, hurt, it pains me to say it because it's another example of a big load of money that Southampton have wasted on a defender that we thought was going to be really good and has turned out not to be. And I'm just hoping that Kevin Danso is going to be the be the real deal. Um, it's, it's interesting what you say about his uh, former youth coach saying that he could have been a, a, a box-to-box um, midfielder as well because I th- always felt like with Jack Stevens, who's another kind of... Much maligned Southampton centre back that he would have been much better as a you know either a defensive midfielder or a box to box midfielder. He had great passing range but just terrible defending. Um, so you know, f- funny to see these these sorts of things happening. Um, the other thing which I, I, I've noticed, which doesn't really seem to make any sense, is that we really seem to be missing Musa Gianneppe, which is really odd as he's only played a, a handful of games. And you've already mentioned him in this podcast. What is it about him? that we're just so lacking in all the other players in the first-team squad?
1: He's He doesn't hesitate. Uh, it, it feels like a very simple way to describe a player, but there is something to be said about a player who um, constantly wants to pass the ball forward and constantly wants to get forward and get touches within the box. So, as I mentioned before, Southampton have a really bad problem with converting their chances. Uh, they're very often... You can see it, especially on counter attacks, where I mean, a lot of the play revolves around Nathan Redmond, who was Southampton's top scorer last season, and very much has uh, shouldered the responsibility of carrying Southampton's attack. Um, so Redmond is a very, very impressive attacking midfielder. Sometimes his pass selection can annoy, so he, he sometimes shoots when I would prefer him to pass, and sometimes he passes maybe two or three seconds after I think he should pass as well. Um and that's not a problem. That's very much uh, you know what a player who scored the most amount of goals and got the most amount of assists for Southampton had to do. this sort of last season it was it's it's my responsibility to get goals here, so I'm going to take that responsibility and do what I need to do. But outside that you can see very hesitant play from from Southampton very often um players going forward take two or three touches when they should be taking one or there's a real lack of near post runs on crosses which is is one of those things that sounds really simple but not not many clubs have players who constantly make near post runs because it's 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 a it's a high end attacking skill one only has to look at what's going on at Manchester United with Marcus Rashford right now to see that uh, having a striker who doesn't always make near post-run doesn't necessarily mean you're doomed to whatnot. It, loads of teams have problems with this. Mm. So those are problems that are going on. And, and Moussa Jalepo basically simply doesn't have that, uh, maybe you want to call it the yips or, or the fear or whatnot, but you look at his goals against Bryan and against Sheffield United, and that's instinctual play. That is a guy going, I'm trying to get from point A to B, um Regardless, I'm going to try and put the ball in the net, which you can coach it to a bit, but also a lot of it relies on you just being growing up in the in the right circumstances and having the right amount of confidence to go. I'm having this. Mrs. Jenny Apple's goal against Sheffield United was voted goal of the goal of the month for September. I honestly could not coach that goal. No. I have no idea how you begin to coach that goal. Um, shrugging off a defender, moving from left to right foot when you were going through a corridor of uncertainty, putting it back on your right foot again, and then getting a shot away. Remarkable talent, remarkable poise and balance and whatnot. And that takes supreme confidence in a way that, especially for some of the Southampton players that have been playing through the last two or three relegation seasons, a confidence that hasn't been there for a while.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with your, your summary there. Um, I mean that goal was a was a thing of beauty. It's it's funny cuz just the way you were describing what Gineppo does there is kind of how I feel about uh, Josh Sims. You wrote an article about um which I think was was out yesterday or or the day before yesterday. Um and you know, at, at the Saints FC podcast, kind of our unofficial title is almost the Josh Sims Fan Club. Uh he's <laughs> he's a player who every time I see him on the pitch, he he just seems to enliven the game. He he has you know the, those qualities that you're talking about, Gineppe. He he looks up, he goes forward with pace, he doesn't hesitate. Um, sure, he's there's loads of stuff he doesn't get right, and he clearly doesn't quite have the the quality of Gineppe yet. But he, he's a player that I always enjoy watching just because I think kind of when he first came into the team was under Claude Puel and that was a time when we were so ponderous about absolutely everything that we did that seeing Josh Sims pick up the ball and just run towards the opposition goal was something that we just hadn't seen for a whole year basically um so I I was going to speak about Josh Sims towards the end of the podcast but seeing as I as I've brought him up now do you see that 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 link between Sims and Gineppo or am I just totally insane and just you know loving Josh Sims with through a total irrational sort of rose tinted glasses, as it were?
1: Uh, in all honesty, I've not seen particularly much of Josh Sims in my time. Uh, obviously, because I've only I've only been at Southampton at the start of this season, so I can't say I'm the most au fait with with Sims's play. He he did have two very impressive performances last season, uh, especially when he came on as a substitute against Tottenham Hotspur in that smash and grab victory. Southampton got near the tail end last season with James Ward-Prowse free kick. I think Jan Valery scored in that game as well. Mm -hmm. Um, He also was really impressive against Wolves. From what I have been informed of by the Athletics New York team and from what uh, my friend Christian Hennage, uh, an English sports journalist who lives in New York, has told me, there are similarities, between Sims' game and Redmond's game at the moment. So in the piece I wrote for the Athletic, it looks as if while the move didn't make much sense on you know at first glance to send you know, a very promising winger over to the MLS for six months, it's become very apparent that Sims was sent over to New York Red Bull because of the New York links and how Hassel is trying to get more players to play at clubs that have this sort of belief in young players that play high-pressing football. And of course, the best ones to do that are the ones that all knows which other you know Red Bull clubs, so hence the hence the move. Um, and from what I understand, there was a recent performance in which Sims got his first assist, where his running and passing movement was not too similar too dissimilar from the role Nathan Redmond had, particularly in Redmond's game against Brighton. So you can sort of acclimatise for the changes in the MLS and, and you know pressing systems and whatnot and how obviously MLS is probably more comparable to the football found in certain sides in the championship than it is in the Premier League. But I think Sims's place when he returns will eventually be to play um I want to say on the right hand side of the four two 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 um, it's one of those really interesting things where Southampton seem to be getting stronger and stronger in the wide areas. Um, so very conceivably, Southampton could have a front four of Danny Ings and Shea Adams up front. And then on the left and right, you've got Moussa Janepo and Nathan Redmond. And then as substitute options, you've got Buffal and Josh Sims. And then you've also got the addition of James Ward-Prowse if he needs to fill in there, um, which I don't know about you, I would say that's a top half quality of attack. So uh things are going well possibly.
0: Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's an interesting thing isn't it? Um that whole kind of like Red Bull connection and and the fact that all the teams kind of play in that similar style. Um you know should should, should we be thinking that Saints might be bought out by Red Bull at some point in the future or they is <laughs> like Hassan Heto the plant the first you know the first man in to try and sort things out.
1: Um, it's a thing that football writers try and predict every season uh, uh sort of when will Red Bull finally buy in England, yeah, and I think there were some very serious moves made by Red Bull around about Swindon uh in the last eighteen months, but as far as I know, there's been no sort of formal agreement between Red Bull and the Football Club. I think if such a deal happens, there you'll be national news and Someone far more talented than me at the athletic will pass comment about it. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: I think what we've got now is there's a very interesting informal um, passage of personnel between the Red Bull clubs and Southampton. So Richard Clip, I'm going to try and pronounce his surname. Ralph says I'm getting closer. So it's Kitch Blitzer. yeah. Uh, the new first team assistant, formerly is formerly of Red Bull Salzburg, and uh, when I've asked Ralph about. Um, his assistant's role, he says, we come from the same family, this Red Bull family. So that's one personnel member who's, who's got Red Bull experience. And obviously, last week, uh, Southampton lost one member of their performance analysis team to to Red Bull, uh, to New York Red Bull as well. So there there seems to be some sort of passage between the clubs, and Southampton largely because Hassel knows a large number of those personnel, and they seem to be playing the type of football Hassel was trying to bring through. Um, so I'd expect more links between the Red Bull clubs and and Southampton to, to come forward in future. However, nothing too formal, if not because Southampton's official energy drinks partner is Monster.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that, that would be a little bit awkward, wouldn't it, if Red Bull bought them out at the moment and then, uh, <laughs> you know, they still had to have Monster on the the stands at the same time, you know. Well, you know, maybe this is something. Maybe, uh, maybe Hassan is actually a on a, a spy on a covert mission to ruin Southampton for selecting Monster as the as the uh, energy drink of the club. Anyway, I'm getting way way too deep into ridiculous conspiracy theories now. Um, I, I wonder. Seeing as we've kind of touched on this as part of the the Red Bull discussion, um. Should we should we talk about Ross Wilson now as well? Because it's been announced that he's leaving for Rangers. Um, earlier this season, we had Danny Roll left um, Southampton to join Bayern Munich. And there's a, there seems to be a lot of fans who are worried that the reason that Southampton are not performing as they should do is because Danny Roll left. They're worried about, um, I, I've forgotten the lady's name, who's moving to uh, Red Bull. But should we be worried about what's going on in the back room and Ross Wilson leaving now as well? I think
1: backroom movements at Southampton are to the departure of Danny Roll was a particularly interesting one because as far as I understand it was a open secret he was leaving. Uh, but it was only formally announced at the start of the season. So my understanding was quite a few Southampton fans here knew that Roll was not having the uh was not appearing in Southampton as much as one there as much as he used to. But uh they went through a full round of preseason and then it was only at the start of the season where it got a formally announced. The interesting with Roll is I don't think he's been properly replaced yet. Um so while well, Richard Richard, I'm gonna call him Richard for the sake of not embarrassing myself anymore. While well, Richard has the job of first team assistant coach my understanding is he has a remit to to cover video analysis and very much do it in regards to the opposition so he he's not a traditional number two in the way that uh, those who grew up with uh, Nigel Clough might remember how a number two operates or he's not an assistant manager in the same way as a Mike Phelan at Manchester United or as a uh, my brain's gone blank Mikel Arteta at Manchester City. He he seems to very much uh, have a very fixed role and that seems to be of that, of the auditorium rather than to be the sounding board to affect things. One thing that I would say is particularly interesting is uh, if you ever want to see the influence of an assistant manager on a manager, um, just notice if there's been any change in the way substitutes happen in the team. So obviously, you know, the assistant very often is the immediate sounding board for subs. So uh, it doesn't appear to me that Ralph is has changed his approach to substitutes since Richard has joined. He's still making substitutes around about the same moments, around about the 60th, 7th moment. He seems he still wants to always bring on Stuart Armstrong to close out games. Um, and he still hasn't quite got a hang of uh, what I call game changers or game changing mm-hmm. substitutions. Um, so there hasn't been much change there. And from the two or three times I have mentioned um, Richard to hustle. He said that Rich is very very good. He helps me out a lot with analysis work. He very much helps me out in the auditorium when we're having press conferences and talking about stuff. But it doesn't seem to be uh, much in terms of uh, the meat and potatoes job. I you'd assume with coaching? So that may be a point of concern. If if the form of the clubs seems to 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 go down, there might be it might be worth me asking or someone else asking some questions about who is. Talking to Ralph and saying maybe don't do this, <laughs> or, or who's being who's being the good who's being the good cop to Ralph's bad cop. If Ralph is a bad cop at all, I, from my understanding, he seems to be a very well balanced cop. Um, so there's that. In terms of Ross Wilson's departure, I believe um, the best way I can frame this is Ross Wilson leaving is more of a case of someone getting their dream job than it is Southampton moving on someone. Um, We know for a fact Ross Wilson was very close to joining Rangers in 2017 and I believe there was one more approach from Rangers between uh, then and the present day and essentially it's been conversations over how much money is going to be made available to Ross Wilson um, that sort of finally got this deal over the line Uh, and from what I understand Southampton uh, and in the club statement that went out today Southampton that Ross Wilson's going with the blessing of everyone at Southampton. Uh, so I, I don't want. I don't think there's any any issue there with his departure. What I would say is, um, Ross Wilson's departure probably opens up the gap for for Gao Xing and and the family to to, to formally uh, begin a new era and draw a line under the Les Reed and Ralph Kruger era and and to, to take Southampton to 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 something more in line in keeping with their vision. So they get to hire their own director of football in order to go along with Ralph Hussle, who was their own hire as well, and and sort of take this governance board to uh, someplace new. So you've got to bear in mind, as far as I understand it, Southampton is run by a group of individuals. So CEO Martin Simmons runs the club on a day-to-day basis. You've got uh, Toby Steele, who's the managing director. There is... The commercial director, uh, whose name I currently forget, please forgive me. Um, then there is Gal and Gal's daughter Nelly. Uh, Gal's daughter Nelly has more of the day-to-day running than Chairman Gal, who obviously lives in China still. And then Ralph Hassel feeds into that conversation a lot, in addition with uh, Ross Wilson. The departure of Wilson means that Hassel, in the interim, will have a little bit more. Conversation on the running of um, of play recruitment and and the scouting system and the academy system, but I imagine the director of football, he Hassel, will be consulted about the incoming director of football, and they will try and get director of football who can work alongside Hassel quite easily. So there's a very good chance there will be an, another former Red Bull member at Southampton very very soon.
0: Okay, yeah, it's quite interesting then, isn't it? I mean, going back to your point about. Um the Danny Roll leaving and uh, Richard, as we call him, on this podcast uh, not being there for the sounding board is that sometimes from the outside, it certainly looked like Ralph hasn't had a sounding board who he's testing his ideas against and he's been going for the, his kind of craziest idea. Um, at, at this point, let's let's bring it back to the football because I've got a couple of questions from uh, my co-host Tom Parker who wanted me to ask you. Um, and his first question is, what else does Ralph have in his kind of like locker to improve the team? He's signed the players, uh, changed formations, but we still have those vulnerabilities at the back and, and we're still wasteful at the front.
1: I'd say he has to play the players. I really think he has to play the players. Like, like I've said, I think Southampton's two best centre-backs are Benerick and Kevin Danza, and I've not seen them play together in a, mid, in a, in a back two. Um, I think if if you gave me if you if for some reason I was the assistant manager of Southampton for a weekend against Wolves, I'd probably go to Ralph. Look, let's try a four-two-two-two, two, two, the one you always want to play it, but let's do it with Angus Gunn in goal, Virtue and left back, Valerie right back, Bennerick and Danzo centre back. Let's try Romeo and James Ward-Prowse in central midfield. Um, for some reason, I've got a magic potion. I'm giving that to Musa Janapo. So I'm going to put him on the left. Let's put Nathan Redman on the right. And let's try Shea Adams and Danny Ings up top. I think that is a team that could beat Wolves. I think that's a team that could beat more than half of the teams in the Premier League. And I think that's a case of how does Southampton get better? You basically got to, one, wait for Musa Janapo to be fit along with all the other players and then hope, you know, play your best 11, which I think Ralph hasn't done yet due to circumstances to do with player form an injury.
0: And and do you think that's where he's working towards? Because I'd probably agree with you. I think there's maybe some question marks around James Ward-Prowse and pierre M. L. Hoiberg, but I've not been particularly impressed with Hoiberg this season so far. Uh, Having said that, I've not been hugely impressed with James Ward-Prowse this season so far either, but I think there's maybe more to come from James Ward-Prowse.
1: Yes. So uh, James Ward-Prowse is primarily played at right wing back or right wing for Southampton, which I believe is not the best use of his talent. Um, So for the majority of the time where there is someone else playing on the right wing, be it Buffal, Valerie, or player X, um, the player on the right tends to play a bit wider and tends to play a little bit deeper than the person playing on the left. Because in theory, the centre midfielder, who is James Will prowse tends to burst forward. Mm. and get ahead of the ball and play as a number 10 and and play quite a few one-twos. When James Will Pass plays out wide, there is no one from the central midfield pivot to burst forward. And I think this is a really big problem they've got at central midfield in Southampton right now. Romeo is very good at the things he's good at. He's not very good at attacking. Romeo wants to defend, get turnovers, tackle people, and eventually get a booking and give it to someone more talented than him. And when that personal talentism going forward is on form and can do more one-twos with Dan- with Danny Ings, with Redmond, with Bertrand, then Southampton's attack begins to click. At the moment, Hilberg has not really been making the passes in the final third that you'd expect, has not really been getting the shots off that you'd hope him to get. Um, so it's created much of a muchness in centre midfield. The, the incident I brought up after the Chelsea game was Romeo and Ings teamed up to dispossess Willian. Romeo gave the ball to Ings on the halfway line, Ing started running, but Romeo stopped.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's not, it's not quite Romeo's fault because Romeo is not an attacking player. He can try and join a counter attack, but you don't want him shooting the ball. You saw sort of, Romeo did his job and gave it to someone more attacking minded. What you wanted was someone else attacking minded to join that attack. Um, and you'd hope that to be Hoiberg, but Hoiberg right now can't quite seem to do that. Um, whether or not this is a problem that you can remedy by playing three in midfield, so someone played a 4 3 3 against Chelsea and maybe try Romeo, Hoiberg, and Ward Prowse and tell Ward Prowse to play a bit more attacking and try and get ahead of the ball and play one twos, that might work. I think going in the transfer market for January for a loan deal could be particularly interesting for Southampton. I think Tom Davis at Everton would be a particularly interesting um, recruitment if they can sort out the finances there. Um, I think something could really do with someone in central midfield whose job is pass the ball forwards at all times. And don't worry about the rest because Romero will sort that out for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I wonder if it's a bit of a, causing a bit of a headache for Ralph at the moment because Hoiberg is the captain and, you know, perhaps he'd be worried about dropping the captain. Uh, Hoiberg as well also seems like quite an emotional player to me. Um, and he seems that his emotions are quite strongly linked to the rest of the first team as well. I mean, that's that's just from an outside point of view. But I wonder if he's almost kind of like treading on eggshells around around that issue.
1: <laughs> uh, Romeo, oh, sorry, Hoiberg cares about that about Southampton. I think his reaction in the South Coast Derby, especially, uh, marked him out as a man who who cares intensely about Southampton, who very much takes his role as captain very seriously who wants to do best for the team, um, and is trying his best. I wouldn't say he's having he's had a bad spell for Southampton. I'd simply say he is playing a very, very difficult role in central midfield for in the Premier League at a time where being a good Premier League central midfield is really, really, really hard. There are maybe a dozen central midfielders, I'd say, who are good in that position and is you know, are totally in control of, of the helter-skelter movement of the Premier League. And I'd say there are teams, you know, in the top six with central midfields who, who are struggling. And I'd say Southampton have, in Heuberg and in Romeo, especially, two players who are easily of European quality. Um, and that can play really well. You only have to look at the performance against Manchester United to see what's a very good double pivot Southampton have. I think it's simply a case of finding um, the right alchemy to get someone to be ahead of the ball and stitch that midfield with that attack.
0: Okay. So uh, I'm going to press you, press you on this now. So if Ralph Asen is the right manager, playing the right sort of tactics and the players are the right sort of players who, you know, should be able to kind of be breaking into that Europa League or kind of Premier League middle class, wh- what is it that is wrong. Is it the consistency? Is it is it the stadium at home? The atmosphere? Is it just bad luck? Are we is it is there going to be a sudden turn in form that that we can foresee?
1: Um, the way I always describe it is, you've got good teams, you've got bad teams, you have lucky teams, and you have un- unlucky teams, and. Uh, a good team will be top half. A good team that's also lucky will tend to win a trophy. Uh, a bad team will be bottom half, and a bad team that's unlucky will tend to be at the bottom of the table. At the moment, Southampton are Southampton are the unluckiest lucky side in the Premier League. It's a very, very weird combination of things. And I pointed this out when I wrote about VAR decisions with Southampton. So VAR's has overturned more goals against Southampton than any other club in the Premier League. And I thought, oh, it's just because Castle was doing something particularly good in coaching. And it was just simply no, because Southampton just seemed to be getting the rub of the green on some offside decision. So that's the sort of luck you, that's a good form of luck, but also you would prefer it to be, that's a form of luck that you prefer your team to be good rather than just lucky. And I think there have been two or three times where they are, Southampton are, Playing good football for 25 to 30 minutes, and the opposition goes. All right, now we're going to be lucky and have a shot, and it goes in.
0: Yeah,
1: and there've been two or three times where it's first chance goal for the opposition, or first set piece goal. So uh, Nathan Ake's goal for, against Bournemouth was just a corner, and Ake went, "Oh, I'm free. I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have this and go in." A uh, time when Southampton had maybe 20 minutes worth of good football. There was a very impressive 15 minutes against Tom Hotspur, and then Harry Kane went. Uh, Harry Kane and Son went, shall we just score now? And then Son got the assist for in, in Dombele. And I think that's happening. It's a really, really unfortunate fixing list, which is making Southampton look worse than they are. Um, and also, there are things that, unfortunately, you can't quite account for. So Shea Adams having 12 shots on goal and none of them going in is one of those things where you're going, Shea Adams will eventually start scoring. And there is no reason for Shay Adams to not have scored already. Every single statistical model indicates Shea Adams is a good striker who is going through a bizarre glitch right now. And when Shea Adams starts scoring, that's one more reason for Southampton fans to be happy about. And this is the case of can one day Southampton have a game where Shea Adams scores a goal and also Vestergaard gets his headers right so then Southampton don't concede. (laughs) And then once you do that, you get two or three wins in a row.
0: So so what you're saying Southampton fans should do is just grit their teeth, hold on, and just wait, you know, probably till, is it the end of November when we when we hit the run of Watford, Norwich, Newcastle, West Ham, Villa? Um, and, and, is, it's a, and that's going to be when things thing. all start working out?
1: Yes, I think so. So quite, I am of the school of thought that you shouldn't really look at the Premier League table until the second international break, which is now. Um, other football writers are, don't particularly pay attention to the league table until after ten games of the season. And Ralph Hassel was told press that he's not looking at the league table until Southampton have played everyone once. Um, I think I think that might have to run through a bit until Southampton get until November 30th, where they're playing Watford, and then they play. Norwich. It is a really, really, really painful fixture list, and you. Well, on one hand, you hope Southampton keep their goal difference in a in a good enough, healthy enough state, so when the fixtures list is a bit nicer to them, they can start arresting their slide down the table. There is no reason for Southampton to be um, worrying about the R word yet. I think they've got a front four which, when fully fit, is not far off Euro- Europa League standards. They've got two people in central midfield who went fully fit in firing are not far off top six standard. Uh, I think the back four or back five definitely could do with some improvement, but that improvement comes with consistency and comes from extra experience of communication. I think once after picks his eventual back five or his eventual back four, he should stick with it. Um, so what I'd really like to see is a, is a run of games of someone playing with Benarek. Um, I'd really like to see Angus Gunn remain as the number one. I wouldn't want to see him replaced by McCarthy just yet. Uh, I think one of the things about playing young players in defense is that you, while there is a temptation to go with experience, an older player, you can sometimes compensate with that experience by having young players grow up with each other. And I think replacing Gunn right now just adds further instability. Um, I want to come back on this podcast just after uh just after just at the start of december and then hopefully everything should be all right
0: okay all right that's that's a deal Carl, we'll get you in the start of december <laughs> maybe after that norwich game or maybe even after we've had watford norwich newcastle and then uh then we should know kind of where we are i think as as a club and where we're going um and I, you know i think you've probably kind of answered this question already but like what can we realistically expect to achieve over the course of the season because i was feeling really optimistic I, I think i kind of predicted probably about the same as you about 12th but with a lot of good performances and some you know quite interesting football do you think do you think that's still right
1: yeah i still think 12th is is within reach i i, I my big old powerful spreadsheet is now predicting something closer to 14th um, especially now it seems like Crystal Palace have decided to be a good football team yeah. which is weird um, but I, I, I think it's simply a case of just let's find a way to get Shea Adams firing so Redmond um, coming back to the fitness should really help play the sort of through balls and slide rule passes that Shea Adams scored quite a lot of in the championship last season um, Shea Adams starts scoring, working alongside Danny Ings leading the front press should really really help Um, a little bit of work on set pieces. So Maya Yoshida's had two very good presentable chances, one against Liverpool, and one against Solomon Hotspur. If Southampton can really work on that sort of attacking performance on set pieces, then there's another source of goals there. Um, Southampton have to get better, if only because you've got two or three players coming in to full fitness and two or three players who are going to start performing as their, you know, closer to what their underlying numbers are in keeping of. It's not a case of Southampton are incredibly vulnerable to one sort of thing that teams can do over and over and over again. Um, Things should get better. I'm saying this with my most serious face on.
0: Okay. You didn't sound 100% (laughs) convinced with yourself when you said that. Um. And then, uh, let's, let's just have a quick look uh, towards this weekend's game. A away to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Do you expect Southampton to get anything from this? I mean, Wolves were were pretty impressive against Manchester City at the weekend. They seem to have turned the corner from their early season poor form. It's probably, our timing is not great here. We, sh- we should have been at Wolves earlier in the season.
1: It would have been nice. This, this fixture list, I don't know what gods Southampton offended for this fixture list, um, but... Uh, Wolves are going to be a really interesting thing because Wolves Wolves at the start of this season were playing quite ineffectual football because they were playing like a Europa League side, whereas Wolves were at their most successful last season and were at their most successful against Manchester City the other week because they were playing still like a recently promoted side. So Wolves are a team that are very comfortable with the opposition having the majority of the ball. They're going, all right, you, you... Pass yourself city with 65% possession. We will sit back, we will defend quite ably. We've got two very tall centre backs, so we can do with crosses, and we can set a number of very, very good traps for you to eventually lose possession and we get turnovers. And then we counter attack at pace with also Adama Traore as right wing back or as a central striker. This is one reason why Manchester United are rubbish against Wolves because Wolves are the most presentable team for Manchester United to lose to because United go there thinking they can just bully them with passes and Wolves just sit there waiting. So if Southampton go to Wolves expecting to have all the ball and play this sort of sterile possession game that they've done quite often, there's a good chance they lose, especially considering how good Wolves are at counter-attacking, how quick Traore is and how, vulnerable Southampton have appeared to balls over the top, especially with um, Vestergaard or Yoshida, who aren't the speediest centre-backs. So that's something to be wear- very wary of. However, if Southampton go out there with a focus on causing those turnovers and trying to match Wolves' quite narrow shape in the central midfield options, if Romeo and Huoba can really start battling Moutinho and Neves then we could have a particularly interesting thing. I think if they could start getting some through balls over to Shea Adams, and Shea Adams can really begin to stretch that Wolves back five or back three, then there could be some very, very interesting things there. And I think if Benarek is given the correct center-back partner, um, then you could see a really interesting matchup. The optimist in me is predicting a 2-2 draw. Uh, The pessimist in me is predicting a very workman-like 2-0 victory for Wolves.
0: I, I predicted a 2-2 two, two draw for the for the Wolves podcast, um, partly because I never think you should give an opposition podcast the satisfaction of predicting your team to lose. So 2-2 two, two draw is what I went for as well. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good prediction, Carl. I'll, I'll take that.
1: Yeah, uh, I think something to be careful about set pieces, especially right-sided in swinging corners. Uh, and they do need to worry about Traore in the wide positions. However, I think South, the way Southampton play football in wide areas and how they bring over the front six in order to box players out is the perfect way to, to stop a instinctual, rapid player like Traore. So hopefully, if Southampton can get goals going, they should be well. The first goal is the most important one here, yeah. I very much believe.
0: Okay. So, Carl, um, one last question uh, before we finish. Moving on from Southampton, I know that you're a Manchester United fan and I think that you might be suffering as we are at the moment. What is going on with Manchester United?
1: Uh, They're not very good, is the succinct answer. Uh, The the longer answer is Southampton, uh, Southampton, Manchester United are reaping what they sow, which is when you have a lack of a long-term plan and lurch from one... uh, Tactical vision to another tactical vision, you eventually come up short, and you end up in in this space. I think there are some very interesting parallels between Southampton following the departure of Ronald Koeman, uh and Manchester United. Now, sort of, they had a plan. It changed quite rapidly, and then two or three very important components got stripped from Manchester United, and now Manchester United look incredibly pathetic shall we say uh, they've got a defence that isn't particularly yet solid at best essential midfield which Pogba aside is not European quality I think every member of Southampton's midfield three James Ward, Prowse Romeo and Huerbeck would improve Manchester United's midfield which is odd to say um, and they've got an attack where the well the players when they are fit can do well but they're not because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has uh, mishandled his resources available to him and overworked them during the summer by by trying to get them to play a pressing game but from what I understand didn't have plans of a pressing game and just simply made them run a lot harder Um, let me be very very blunt here Ralph Hustle is a far more talented manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is Um, in a director of football And Ross Wilson in having a director of football like Ross Wilson, Southampton have better long term planning than Manchester United. Um, in a defensive midfield like Orri- or like Romeo, Southampton have a better defensive midfield option than Manchester United. This is not me saying Southampton are a really, really good side, and please don't get too angry that I'm using Southampton as a stick to beat Manchester United with, but uh, yeah, that's what's going on with Manchester United, that they were once a market leader and now they're behind a club like Southampton, which... No disrespect, are not in the same financial realm as Manchester United. But if a team like Southampton can have greater forward planning and a better coach than Manchester United, then Manchester United's fall was was plain to see for everyone, really.
0: Yeah. So, quick question. I think I know the answer to this because you've just said it. I mean, if Gunnar Solskjaer got sacked, would you you'd would you be happy if if Man United appointed Ralph Hasenhuettel? Yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, t- I don't think he would get the I don't think he get the job and I don't think he'd want the responsibility of, of managing a top six club that is Manchester United. I think Manchester United are in such a state of disarray. It would take a very unique manager to take over there and they would quite easily argue that they'd need a lot of money, both personally and in a transfer market. Um but In my mind, Ralph Household, if you airdrop Ralph Household into Manchester United today, Manchester United will be playing better football come two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. Simply because Ralph Household has a clearer vision of the football he's trying to play at Southampton. When I watch Manchester United in a personal capacity, now I go, I have no idea what type of football they're trying to play. Whereas no matter what's happened watching Southampton, I go, okay, Southampton are doing this and this and this because Ralph Household wants them to do this and this, which is. It's one of those things that sounds very, very simple, but you'd be surprised how many clubs there are in the Premier League that you don't understand what they're trying to do, but Southampton do. Which is one reason why I think Southampton fans shouldn't be too worried. I mean, one only has to look at Everton to look at a club with more money that has no idea what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and and who would you who would you want to have? Do you want Maurizio Pochettino?
1: Yes, yes. I said this before. My number one choice last season was uh, Jardim from Monaco because I believe Jardim had a very very good choice with working with you and working with uh, uh, experienced players and squeezing out that extra bit like Falcao um, and I want to say Fabinho um, at Monaco but Monaco has sank a bit but I very much believe Manchester United should have approached Pochettino in the summer if if not because they believe it's not because they wanted Pochettino But simply because they wanted to ruin tall hotspur. There's a very good Sporting adage from Bayern Munich, which says strengthen yourself and if you can't do that weaken others And I think in, in the cutthroat nature of the top six Even if you don't sometimes it's not about you having it Sometimes it's about making sure the other person doesn't have it which is an awful capitalist thing for me to say but Barclays.
0: Mm. I always felt like that's what Liverpool used to do with Southampton. We used to throw up annoying results for them, and I just thought, yeah, he's caused another annoying result against us. Let's go and buy him. Um, (laughs) Right. Anyway, on that note, Carl, we've uh, we've been speaking for over an hour now. Say, I need to let you get back to your your other life of covering Southampton in the words of in the in the word written word rather than the spoken word Uh, thank you once again I will absolutely take you up on your offer to get you on to the podcast after Saints have had a few easier fixtures uh, in early December that seems like quite a good time to get you back on again Um, thank you very much for speaking speaking to us again and uh, just a a reminder to our fans that if they want to Read your stuff. They need to get themselves on the theathletic.com and subscribe to that. Um, if you want to email into the Saints FC podcast, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Um, it's bye-bye from me. And Carl, I'll let you say your farewells as well.
1: Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we've got a number of discount deals on the Athletic at the moment due to uh, the recruitment of uh, Ornstein and Daniel Uh, David Ornstein and Daniel Taylor from The Guardian. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Uh, There's a number of deals so you don't have to pay full price at the moment if you're a bit sceptical. Coming up this week will be a piece on Ross Wilson, uh, possibly a look at Southampton player programmes and match match day programmes going forward, and then one other look at a former Southampton player if I find enough time this week. Other than that, I will see you at Molyneux on Saturday, everyone. As is tradition, I'll be dressed in green trousers, which is my sort of. If you see someone walking around the football stadium involving Southampton wearing green trousers, it's me. So come say hello.
0: Uh, I look forward to seeing you. All right, thanks a lot, Cal. Cheers, everyone.